1 Corinthians chapter 16, what an amazing book we've had, what a journey we've been on. Uh, we've seen a lot of the things in Corinth, a lot of the church things that are going wrong. Paul is correcting them. But as we come to the end of chapter 16, or, or we finish chapter 16 today, we're going to see the Apostle Paul. He's kind of signing off. He's saying goodbye. And if you're anything like me, when you come to the end of a book, you tend to just kind of read through it real fast. I don't really know who the names mean and just keep moving on to the next thing. But we're going to pull out a couple of, uh, of really good nuggets here. There's a couple things that he wrote that I think are important for us to see, that was important for them to learn, uh, and we're going to learn with them this morning. So if you'll just follow along as I start in verse 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 5, I'm going to read a few verses, and then we'll talk about it. So 1 Corinthians 16, 5, Paul says this. He says, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia. For I am passing through Macedonia, and it may be that I will remain, or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. Paul's simply writing out his plan. And I want you to notice that Paul had a plan. He wanted to come see the church in Corinth. It was his desire to come see the church in Corinth. Now wasn't the time. You see, Paul, when he writes this letter, he's in Ephesus. He's, he's, in, he's in Ephesus writing this letter. And in the future, he planned to leave Ephesus. He was going to travel up to Macedonia, which is north of Corinth. And it's where Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea were located. And likely on the way back, he says, I'd like to stop by and perhaps spend the winter with you guys. I want to I spend some time with you. I want to I you know, share some things with you. I want to teach you. I want to spend some time with you. But I want you to notice the important uh, four words there at the end of verse 7. If the Lord permits. If the Lord permits. I like that. If the Lord permits. Although Paul is making plans, he's even telling other people about his plans, he leaves the final plan up to the Lord. If the Lord permits. In our day, we make plans, don't we? We have Google Calendar. We have Google Maps. We have smartphones. Our calendars are packed full of events and stuff that we have to do. One thing after another, our days can fill up very quickly. But are you flexible enough to allow the Lord to interfere with your plans? Or when something happens unexpected, do you get frustrated? Do you get annoyed because it wasn't my plan? It wasn't what I had on my schedule for today. Well, maybe the Lord wants to interfere Maybe he wants to interrupt your day. Maybe that flat tire that you might get on the way to work this week, and I'm not hoping anybody does, but if you happen to get a flat tire on the way to the work, are you able to look at that and go, Lord, what are you doing? Or right away, do you get out of the, kick the tire, slam the door, kick the tire? Where's the spare? Where's the AAA number? I can't find it. Maybe the Lord interrupts your schedule for a reason. Maybe he wants you to minister to the tow truck driver. Maybe he wants you just to encourage. Maybe the tow truck driver is going through a difficult, maybe he's a Christian, but he's going through something difficult or her, and you need to just encourage them a little bit. Or maybe you won't know why at all it happened. Oh, we don't like that part. I don't know. I, I can deal with it. The Lord tells me why I'm supposed to have this inconvenience in my life. But when he doesn't tell me why, that's when I get frustrated. Lord, tell me why. Make it, why not just let him be God? Why not realize there might be something happening that you're not even capable of understanding in the future? Maybe he's protecting you from something. Maybe he's keeping you from getting to that intersection too fast so the car doesn't come flying through and, and take you out because your time's not up yet. Why not just let God be God? Why not let him interrupt our day once in a while? We need to be flexible. Allow something to happen. G. Campbell Morgan put it this way. He said, I know the fascination of having a program and having everything in order and knowing where we're going. But let us leave room at any rate for the interference of God or the interruption of God. You see, as Christians being led by the Holy Spirit, we need to understand there's going to be times where our life is interrupted and our life is going to be interfered. It's not always going to go the way that we have it planned. I hate that. And I know that sometimes, maybe it's just me. Maybe you guys are fine with it. I don't know. But it frustrates me sometimes. I plan my days and I want to get certain things accomplished. And other times I get to the end of the day and I look and I go, I didn't get done what I wanted to get done. And my wife will usually say, yeah, but did you do the will of the Lord? I say, yeah, I did. Good. Then you accomplished everything he wanted you to get done. Everything he had for you. I heard, I heard Pastor Chuck Smith say, and I, I, I think it's not in the Bible, but I think it should be. Blessed are the flexible, for they are not easily broken. Now, I know that's not a proverb, but I think it should be. 
If I was writing it, it'd be Proverbs 32, 1. And don't say you're adding to the Bible. I know, I'm not really adding it. If I was going to add it, that's where I'd put it. There is no Proverbs 32, I'd make it up. If you're going to go big, might as well go all the way, right? Let's make up a whole chapter. <laughs> Blessed are the flexible, for they are not easily broken. How much truth is there in that? You see, when we're not flexible, when we're rigid, and that little thing happens, that Lord, the Lord interrupts our day or our, our life with this issue or this thing, whether it be small or big, whether it be short and temporary like a flat tire, or perhaps it's something longer term, are you okay with it? Are you okay looking, saying, you're God? I'm not. I trust, I know, I believe that you have my eternal state in mind, and you wouldn't allow anything to happen to me that isn't going to prepare me for that. You see, that's the way that we need to be as a Christian. And I can't help but wonder how many ministry opportunities we miss that are right before us just because we're annoyed in an unexpected circumstance. How many times could the Lord be moving, taking a certain thing in our life and leading us in a direction because he's got ministry for us there and we just don't like what's happening so we completely shut ourselves off. We're not even available to be used. I would encourage you that as your life changes direction and it will, with or without your control sometimes, that you leave the Lord in control and trust that he might be moving you into a direction or into a place to minister, even around people that you can minister to that you thought were there for you, maybe you're going there for them. It's a different way of thinking. It's a mindset. Blessed are the flexible, for they're not easily broken. Look at verse 8. He says, But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. For now, Paul says, I'm going to remain in Ephesus. Why? Because there's an open door. There's ministry taking place. There's things happening. The gospel's going forth. Have you ever noticed that when there's an open door, there may also be adversaries lurking around? The Lord leads you in a direction, but there might be some adversaries that come against you. That's what Paul's saying. He says, I'm in Ephesus right now, guys. I'll get there when I can get there as soon as I can. And right now, the Lord's doing an amazing thing here, and I can't leave yet. And there's some adversaries here. Perhaps he says, tells it that so they could pray for them. Whatever the reason, there's some adversaries here. Whenever the Lord is working, you can believe that Satan is opposing you can believe there's an enemy that's coming against or wants to come against whatever the Lord is doing. Paul also knew that this type of opposition always accompanied opportunities from the Lord. In fact, it's written about in Acts chapter 19. It told us both of the opportunities and the opposition that Paul had in Ephesus. You can go back and read it for yourself. But don't ever let the adversaries, don't ever let the opposition that's coming against you because you're doing the work of the Lord keep you from doing the work of the Lord. But it should always make you check, am I doing the will of the Lord? Am I really doing the will of the Lord? Don't ever let those adversaries run you out of town. Don't ever let those adversaries keep you from accomplishing God's will. As Christians, we need to be flexible and let the Lord lead us. Lord, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me this week? It would be my prayer that we would try, to try that this week. Wake up tomorrow morning and say, Lord, what do you have for me today? Here's my schedule, but I'm going to place it in your hands. I'd really like it if you could get me out of work for the rest of the afternoon. He just might do it if you're willing to work for him. I'd really like it, Lord, if you would do this, but I'm going to put my next eight hours in your hands at work. Yeah, I'll be doing a job, making some money, paying the bills, but what would you like me to say while I'm there? Who would you like me to minister to? See, it's a different way of thinking. Now, Paul wants to give them in verse 10 instructions about Timothy. He says in verse 10, And if Timothy comes, that's if Timothy comes, See that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace that he may come to me, for I'm waiting for him with the brethren. Since Paul wasn't going to Corinth himself, he said Timothy may come. If Timothy comes, I may send Timothy to Corinth. And since the Corinthians, based on our study, we know they didn't really expect, respect Paul or his op apostolic authority. There was, could be some upcoming problems with them accepting Timothy being a fellow servant of Paul's. Timothy was younger than Paul. It's often, some people believe that he was soft-spoken and his age it caused him a, a little bit, of, he felt a little uh, underqualified for the things that he was doing and the position that perhaps that he was holding. But Paul says, listen, there's a couple of things. There's a few things I want you to know. He says, let Timothy be without fear. Let Timothy be. Isn't it amazing that Paul has to write this? 
because there could be a fact that here's Timothy coming to share the gospel in Corinth, but he knows what might happen to him. So Paul says that letter ahead says, let him be without fear. In other words, Timothy should be accepted among you. Get ready to embrace him. He's doing the work of the Lord just like I am. He's got something he wants to share with you. And then he has to tell him, let no one despise him. You know what the word despise means? It means to consider worthless or of no value. Paul says, if I send Timothy to you, don't you consider him worthless. Don't you consider him of no value. You, you listen to what he has to say. He's my fellow servant in the Lord. Don't just look past him. And then he says, finally, he says, send Timothy on his journey in peace. Send Timothy on his journey in peace. When he's done, when he leaves, let him leave in peace. Why? Because he's coming back to me. He's coming to tell me what state the church is in Corinth. As Paul wrote this letter, the church in Corinth was a mess. He's hoping that Timothy will go there, find that the church in Corinth has responded to what Paul's instructions have been, and then bring good news back to the apostle and the brethren that are waiting. That's what he's hoping for. There's one other important thing for you to see there in verse 10. Look how Paul described Timothy to the Corinthians. Don't just skip over it. It's important for he does the work of the Lord. He does the work of the Lord as I also do. Timothy does the work of the Lord just like Paul. He does it. James in chap James chapter 1 verse 22 it says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. There's a difference between somebody who does the work of the Lord and someone just hears the work of the Lord. Just because you hear the work of the Lord, just because you hear the word of the Lord, doesn't mean you're doing the work of the Lord or the word of the Lord. There are far too many Christians today, I'm convinced of it, we're just hearers. We want to go to church, we want to hear what God has to say, we want to listen to the pastor teach, we want to study the word of God, but when it comes to what are you doing, oh, I got too much going on. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm too busy. I'm too important. What could work do without me? I, I can't, pop, I don't have time for that. No, God, he's telling us that Timothy does the work of the Lord. Be a doer. What does that mean? What does it mean? Does it, does it mean that, Rob, you need, you need more volunteers for children's ministry? Does it mean you need more volunteers for something? No, no, I am blessed in our church. We have lots of doers of the work. No matter what the need is, there's always a group of people that seem to rally around to meet it. Whether it's something that needs to be fixed at the church, whether it's somebody that needs help, Moving, whatever it is, all I have to do is ask and I get volunteers. Matter of fact, I've heard comments. We had our Valentine's dinner. Those of you who were here at the end saw how many people pitched in to get it all cleaned up. So often in churches, it's the pastor and his wife or a few people doing so much, but it doesn't work that way in ours. Because of our family, everybody pitches in and does their part. Everybody has the hand, where can I help? And when you bring a bunch of people to something, it makes it real easy to do. And we have that in our church. But there's far too many Christians in society, they're just hearing the word of God. They want to argue and debate about the finer doctrinal points. They want to prove their point, but they never actually get out and do anything for God. That's a great way to end an argument about theology. When someone starts arguing with you about maybe you have a difference, start talking about what you're doing for the Lord. Ask them, what are you doing for the Lord? That's great. We can argue and debate about that all day long, but what are we doing for the Lord? Start sharing what you're doing. When you do for the Lord, when you do the word of God, what does it really mean? It means you take the word of God, you take God's word right out of the scriptures, you apply it to your life on a daily basis, and you allow it to change you. That, my friends, will manifest itself into acts of service. It'll manifest itself into the fruit of the spirit. It'll, it'll change your attitude. It'll bring peace to your life. It'll bring joy to your life. It'll increase your faith as you walk with the Lord. Taking the word of God, not just hearing it, but applying it to my life. That's what a doer of the word does. A doer of the doer. Not just a hearer. I'm a doer. I'm going to let it change me. I'm going to let it change my attitude, change everything about me. Now look there at verse 12. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren. But he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Now, we know from chapter 1, the Corinthian Christians, they really liked Apollos. They were fond of him. In fact, Paul had to correct them because some of them were following Apollos instead of following Christ. Some of them were following Peter. Some were following Paul. And Paul said, no, 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 no. It's not about us. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. This gives us some insight onto how, on how the early church operated. We would think that Paul was in charge. 
that whatever Paul said goes. If the Apostle Paul, if I could have a conversation with him today, and I can't, I don't think I could, but if I could, and he said, Rob, I really think you need to pack up, leave Cumberland, and go start a church in another town, I think I'd probably want to go do that just because of who was telling me. I think just because of Paul's authority, I would say, all right, I'm going to go do that, but that would be the wrong decision. That would be the wrong answer. You see, Paul told, encouraged Apollos, and Apollos said, no, I'm not going. I'm not going. It's important to do the Lord's work, but it's the Lord's way. Paul said go. Apollos adamantly refused. Paul did not demand that he went. And I think the Apostle Paul would say the same thing. You have to let the Lord lead. If the Lord permits. Apollos probably said something to the effect, and this is my opinion, Paul, I'll go when the Lord brings me there. I want to go. I'll go when the Lord brings me. Let me explain it to you another way, make it real easy to understand. I have a friend of mine who does uh, uh, a lot of ministry down in Malawi, Africa. And he's planted a number of churches down there. There's a number of pastors that are in Malawi. And and they come together and they have a pastor's conference right frequently, usually at least once a year, if not more often. And every year for probably the last, I don't know, several years, at least five or six years, he calls me up or he emails me and he says, hey, Rob, will you come teach the pastors down in Malawi? And every year I have the same response. I'd love to, but I've got to pray about it. And every year, for whatever reason, the Lord has not allowed me to go to Malawi. Whether it be a scheduling conflict, whether it be I don't have peace with it, whether it be whatever the reason is, but I desire to go. I I can't wait to go down there, meet with the pastors down there, share with them, teach with them, you know, share God's word with them, see what God's doing down there. But the Lord has not allowed me. The Lord has not permitted me to go. And that's the same thing happening here. And it's important to understand that Paul is not over top of Apollos. It doesn't matter how big somebody's church is. It doesn't matter how well-known somebody is. There is no one pastor that's over another pastor. Whether it be a small country church or a large mega church, it's not like one is over the other one. Each pastor, each person has to be, (coughs) respond, seek the Lord individually for what he would have them to do. We need to make sure we understand that. The Lord's work, the Lord's way. Whenever somebody wants you to do something, Whenever somebody urges you to do something, I would encourage you to say, let me ask the Lord. Let me pray about it. Well, no, there's a great need. I don't, you don't have time to pray. Oh, I need to pray. Because if I fill that need and I'm not supposed to, then I'm standing in the way of the person that's supposed to fill the need. You see, we need to make sure that we're seeking the Lord on that. Sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, hey, listen, I've been serving in a ministry so long and, and I, I, I have to back out. I can't do it any longer. Great. Praise the Lord. They look at me like, what do you mean? Well, he's got something else for you. He's not telling you to go sit on the couch and sit home. He's moving you to somewhere else. Well, who's going to fill my spot? Don't worry about it. Somebody will fill it. It'll get done. What if it doesn't get done? Well, then it closes up and it ends. And it's all right. That's the Lord's will too. No, no, you have to give that. You have to fill my spot. No, I don't. Let the Lord do it. You be faithful to what the Lord calls you to do and let the other people be faithful to what the Lord calls them to do. Then all the Lord's work gets done his way. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, but we don't have, we might have to close for a while. Let it close. It's all right. Maybe that needs to close for a while. Just because there's an opportunity, even a good opportunity, does not mean the Lord wants you to take it. Just because something, just because you get offered a better job with more money doesn't mean you take it. You know that. You know that there, there's someone else that would like to pull you away from the will of God. Are you aware of that? And he would very easily do that with money, power, influence. Before you take a new job, you better make sure it's something the Lord wants you to do. When I decided to move to Cumberland, when I was finally came to the point where I am convinced the Lord has called me to start a church in Cumberland, do you know that I got offered two jobs? Right after that. Both of them very, very good, high-paying, influential type positions. One was in law enforcement, one was completely outside of law enforcement. When I said no to both of them, both people looked at me like, are you out of your mind? How could, no, nobody says no to this. You're, you're crazy. I said, no, I'm called to Cumberland. But there's nobody, you don't even know anybody in Cumberland. I don't care. I'm going to walk faithfully with the Lord. My ministry, he told me, in, you know, tell, like, tell Archippus, the ministry has received and fulfill it. Walk in it. Go walk. It's already done. Just go walk faithfully. How can you turn this job down? It's, I, had, I had someone tell me, how can you turn this job down? You'll never get this opportunity again. I said, I don't want it again. If I was supposed to take it, I would. And I realized something. It was a ploy from the enemy to keep me away from what God wanted me to do in Cumberland, Maryland. From a radio station, from a church, from an addictions ministry, from all the things that our church is reaching out and doing, it was, what if I'd have taken that job? What if I'd have, I'd have got, not that it, none of this would have happened, because it would have, I just wouldn't have got the blessing to be a part of it. 
It wasn't, it's not because of me, but I would have missed out on the blessing of being the pastor here at Calvary Chapel Cumberland. And I'd have some job, which by the way, two years later, they closed the job out and I would have lost my job had I taken it. Oh, but at the time it looked pretty good, pretty influential. Just because there's an opportunity to serve somewhere, just because there's an opportunity, it doesn't mean the Lord wants you to take it. It might be a trap from the enemy. Consider that. As Christians, we need to be people that say, Lord, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to live, Lord? Where do you want me to serve? Where, where is it that I can best minister to you? I want you to look at verse 13. Get your pen out. Get your highlighter out. This is one that you want to underline, highlight, draw circles around. Whatever it is, you don't want to forget this one. In the middle of his closing, Paul says there in verse 13, he says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave and be strong. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave and be strong. I like this, this little exhortation, this little reminder. Oh, what valuable principles for powerful living in the Lord. What, these are things that as a Christian we need to know. And I don't want to just read them to you. I want to explain them to you. And G. Campbell Morgan tells us, he says, these are military terms. They're military terms. These are terms the military would use. Watch. It means this. It means be continually on your guard so that you are not surprised by your enemy. Do we as Christians have an enemy we need to watch out for? Yeah. You know what one of the biggest dangers we run into as Christians? Complacency. We're not on guard. We're not watching. If someone was going to rob your house tonight, or you, someone was going to come storm your house tonight, wouldn't you stay up and watch? I'm telling you, before you go to bed tonight, Satan's going to attack you. Are you watching? Are you ready? Are you prepared? He's going to put thoughts in your mind. He's going to put temptations across your path. Watch. Be continually on guard. And then he says this, stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in the faith. Now, we know what that means from the obvious sense, but in the military sense, it means this. It means keep in your ranks. Do not be disorderly. Be determined to keep your ranks unbroken. Keep close together. Picture a military line. They're holding the line. They're keeping in their ranks. You don't have one guy running around going wherever he wants. He has to hold his position. What's he watching for? He's watching for the enemy. They're staying close together. They're keeping in line. They're, they're fighting a battle. They're keeping close together. And then he says, be brave. And if you have the King James Version, I like it better. I like it says this. It says, quit yourselves like men. Quit yourselves like men. And that means simply be a man. Act like a man. Sometimes as Christians, we need to be told to be a man. Put your big boy pants on. Be a man. Watch. Stand fast. Be brave. Be a man. In other words, here's what the military term means. It means when you are under attack, do not flinch. Maintain your ground. Resist. Press forward. Strike home. Keep compact and conquer. It means there is no running away. There is no giving up. There's no raising the white flag. We don't just give up to the enemy. We stay and we fight the enemy. That's what he's saying there. I remember and maybe some of you guys do too, when Wes Bentley was here. Remember Wes Bentley from Far Reaching Ministries? Wes Bentley uh, is uh, in the South Sudan. He has a ministry called Far Reaching Ministries. And if you don't know, in, in Sudan, there's North Sudan and South Sudan. They've been in a civil war for about 40 plus years now. And North Sudan is a Muslim country. The South Sudan is a Christian country. The Muslim country, the Muslim soldiers will come down. They'll attack the Christian villages and they kill everybody, women and children and everything. After they've raped them and pillaged them and all that kind of stuff. And Wes Bentley has the privilege and the honor of training all of the military chaplains for the South Sudanese army. And when I say chaplains, they don't just carry a Bible, they carry a gun with their Bible because they're soldiers as well. As, as well as sharing the gospel, they're sharing, they're, they're protecting and they're fighting. And then what they found out is the, 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 the men that he's training are becoming the best trained men. These chaplains, not only are they carrying the word of God to the dying men and their brothers they're fighting with, they're becoming the best trained military fighters that they have. And he trains those men to be men. And he tells them, when you get the word and you line up and you, and you, and you secure a village and you hold that line, you do not retreat from that line. You hold that line as long as you can. If it means that you can hold it for five more minutes, you hold it. There's no retreat, no surrender. You die on that line. Why? So a few more women and children can get out. So a few more women and children can get to safety before they are overtaken by the enemy. And that's what he's saying here. Be brave. Be men. Be, re be prepared to die on that line. You don't give in to the enemy because he wants to attack you. He wants to steal everything you have from you. Are you willing to fight? We don't run away. In other words, he says, be strong. And this is what it means to be strong. He says, if one company or division be opposed by too great a force, what if the enemy gets too much? What if we can't handle it? Then he says, strengthen that division. 
call for reinforcements, get the help that you need, but you maintain your position. You don't give up. You strengthen your weaker parts. You reinforce what's breaking down. G. Campbell Morgan said this. He said, summon up all your courage. Sustain each other. Fear not, for fear will enervate you. Enervate means it'll cause all of the energy to be drained out of you. Someone who's in fear can't fight. Someone who's in fear, they're just going to stand there frozen. They have no energy left. And Morgan says, summon up all your courage. Be prepared to fight the enemy. And listen carefully, Christians. It's high time as Christians we start applying this to our lives. When Paul told this to them in the church in Corinth, it wasn't just so they could underline it in their Bibles. It was so they could live it out. And he means the same thing for us. When he said, watch, he wants us to know that Satan wants to attack your family any way that he can. He wants to attack you. You know your weaknesses. You know where you're vulnerable. You know where you can go, where you can't go, what you can watch, what you can't watch, what you can think and what you, th- you shouldn't think. Are you watching for his attacks? I already told you they're coming. Don't, don't you agree that they're coming? You will be attacked by Satan before you go to bed tonight, maybe before you leave this room. Before I'm done, maybe you're being attacked right now as I'm talking. You know how he wants to attack. Are you watching? You see, if you're willing to dabble in sin... You're not watching, you're becoming complacent. You're letting him in. Come on in a little bit. No, no, just, I'm going to let you in a little bit here. Just, just come on. No, no, I've got this under control. I'm just going to let this part in. Why would you ever let the enemy into your home, into your life? Why would you ever do that? And then he said, stand fast in the faith. As Christians, we need to hold our ranks. We need to hold our lines. We need to stay close together. Don't let the enemy divide you. Do you know that's the tactic of every enemy and every battle and every war? They want to divide. If you're attacking, you want to divide. The enemy wants to divide your family. He wants to divide your marriage. He wants to divide children from their parents. He wants wants to divide everything. The enemy wants to tell you lies about each other. For the young people, as young people, do you know that he wants to tell you your parents are old? They don't understand. They 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 can't relate to you. they're, They're too far gone. They don't know. They do understand. They've been through it. They've lived it. He wants to tell you that, you that they don't understand you. They can't relate to you. Don't talk to them. Husbands and wives, he wants to tell you that if you'll get a new wife, you'll be better off. If you'll get a new husband, you'll be better off. Oh, that's just your starter marriage. Try another one. He wants to tell you he wants to divide in that way. He wants to divide families any way that he can. He wants to divide you. He wants to lie to you about your relationships. Oh, you'd be much happier if you had a husband or a wife or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. No, no, if it's not from the Lord, you don't want it. Trust me. You don't want it at all. And he says this to us. He says, be brave. Act like men. Do we just stand back and let let Satan have his way? No. We need to fight for our families. We need to maintain our ground. There's no giving up on that son or daughter that won't seem to come underneath of our authority. We keep disciplining. We, We keep training. We keep, most importantly, praying. We don't just go, oh, well. That's it. No, we fight. We keep going. If we have a problem with somebody in the church, we go to the Bible. What the Bible says, go talk to them about it. Do you know that Satan wants to divide our church? He, uh, he wants to divide everything. He wants to split everything away from everywhere the Lord's working. He wants to get it all right down the middle. He wants to cut it out. He always, pe- people have the ability to jump from church to church to church. Maybe he wants you to stay put somewhere so that you can grow there. Maybe it's something that he wants to do in your life. But I don't, I need... Lord, where do you want me? Lord, is this where you want me? If, if the Lord wants you here, I want you here. If the Lord wants you somewhere else, then go back to where the Lord called you to be. He, whatever it is, I want you to be where the Lord wants you to be because that's where you'll grow. That's where he's called you to be. We, don't, we're, we need to be brave. We need to act like men. We don't just run away from a problem when it, and find a different church if they find out that I'm a sinner. We already know you're a sinner. We already know you're going to make mistakes. Just like all of us are going to fall short of the glory of God. We don't just ignore our family. We strengthen each other and the last thing he said was be strong what does that mean that remember what remember what uh morgan said if the line starts to break down if the enemy is too strong what do you do you call for reinforcements you call for help hey i need help today why the enemy's attacking pretty hard i need you to pray with me i need you to share i need to share something with you i'm on the edge i need i need to talk to you it's it's not good i'm, I'm feeling I'm, I'm i'm being overcome today call for help that's what the that's what the military does Air support, ground support, armored vehicle support, whatever they need, they call for the help they get, but they don't give up the line. 
They hold the position. And we as Christians need to be the exact same thing. But this all comes back to our philosophy on life. You see, A.W. Tozer said it best. I love this when I, finally, when I finally read it in his book one day. He said, too many Christians see this world as a playground when they should be looking at it as a battleground. You see, we get wrapped up into this world being a playground. It's about entertainment. It's about making me feel good. It's about having a good time. It's about enjoyment. And we neglect the fact that we are living on a battlefield. There's a battle going on all around us. Our loved ones, our children, our moms, our dads, our husbands, our wives that don't know, the, don't know Christ, there's a battle for their soul right now. The things that we do make a difference. They, they matter. If you're falling apart, you need help, call for it. Call for reinforcements. We'll send in the Calvary. Calvary, Calvary that's even better. Send in the church. <laughs> Calvary. Calvary. I like Calvary better. We'll send in Calvary, the church. If you need help, ask for it. Don't just crumble. Don't hold the, if there's no help, then the Lord will provide. Then you hold that line. You don't give up. That's, what we need. That's the way we need to see it. This world is not a playground. It's a battleground for us. But all of that, you have to add verse 14 to. Look what he says. Let all that you do be done with love. You see, we can fight and we can stand and we can do all of those things. We can be men. We can do all of those things. But all the watching, all the standing fast, all the bravery, all the strength that we do will mean nothing without love. Without love. We're called to do all these things in the meek and the humble spirit of love. We're not giving up. We're not sitting down. We're holding our position. But we're going to do it with love. It keeps our firmness from becoming hardness and our strength from becoming domineering. It keeps our maturity gentle and considerate. Do you see the balance? If all I have is a soldier who's trained to fight but has no love, then I don't have the full package. I need the love. I need the compassion. I need, I need the whole thing. Otherwise, I'm just, I've just become a soldier without the love. There's no, there's no cause. There's no principle. I'm just, I'm just going through the motions. Love complements and balances these things. I like the way Peter put it. In uh, 1 Peter 4.8, Peter said this. He said, above all, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Love for one another. Jesus said, you'll know my disciples by their love for one another. Their love. Oftentimes people come into our fellowship and they say, you guys like each other. You love each other. I, I can feel it. You guys really get along right. That's because of our love for one another. It's because it's the way that we, 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 we study the scriptures. It's the way that we learn. It's, it's, the way, it's the thing the Lord's doing in us. It's not something we make up. Now as we get to verse 15, Paul urges some further instructions. He says, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. Stephanus, his household, was the first people saved in Achaia. The first people in a region, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his house was the first one that said, yes, we believe. They were the first fruits. His whole household was saved. Not just mom, dad, not just a child or a grandparent. The whole household, everybody Wife, husband, children, grandparents, servants, anybody living in his household. Do you remember the first fruits in your life? What happened after you first got saved? What happened? What was the, who was the first person you led to Christ? What, 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 what did the, what's the first thing the Lord did in you? Was it, a, was, it a, was it a feeling of peace? Was it you were able to drop off some burden that you were carrying? Was it I got a chance to witness to somebody? What was the first thing the Lord did to you? Do you remember the first person that you witnessed to? I do. You know the first person I ever witnessed to? It was my mom. I was a little kid. Came home from Sunday school. Had a little picture that I drew. I remember telling her about Jesus. Mom, did you accept Jesus? And I don't know whether she had or not, but she certainly prayed with me that day. She made me think that I was the one that led her to Christ. If she hadn't, that was the first person. Even farther, who are the first fruits of this ministry here in Cumberland. You know, most of them are still here at this church. We've lost a few. But most of them are still here. The first people that came to the Lord or came back to the Lord or, or came as part of this fellowship as we've grown. They weren't all unsaved. Some of them were saved and 
They're all still here, most of them. The first fruits, it's important to remember the first fruits. What did, what's the first thing God did in your life? Did he, did he take something away? Did he take an addiction away? Was it a conviction to stop behaving a certain way? Was it a marriage that he sort of restored? What was it that he did? Don't forget those first fruits. And if you look back and you go, oh, I don't know that he's done anything in my life. If there is no first fruits, I'd really question and say, am I really saved? And don't look for big things. Don't look for, well, he called me to start to a ministry in Africa somewhere. No, don't look there. Look for the little things in your life. Are you the same person that you were last year? Look back 10 years ago. Are you the same person? 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Where, from the time you got saved, are you the same person? Chances are, if you got saved, you're not. There's been little changes. There's been little growths. There's been little things that help you along the way. You're not the same person, or you shouldn't be the same person. Notice it says they devoted themselves. What are you devoted to? They devoted themselves. The whole household is devoted to the ministry of the saints. You and I have a choice on what we devote ourselves to. What are you devoted to? Are you devoted to things of the Lord, or are you devoted to things of the world? Are you devoted to things of God, or are you devoted to my job, my career? What are you devoted to? Well, how do I know what I'm devoted to? Where are you spending your time? Where do you spend your money? Your talents, the Lord's giving you. Where are you using them? He's given all of us certain talents. What, what do you do with them? You want to know what you're devoted to? Open up your checkbook. Or at least get on your bank thing online and see where your money's going. It'll tell you where you're devoted to. It'll tell you where your devotion is. Um, this is not a giving message. I'm not, it's not for that purpose. It's for self-examination. Here in Cumberland, at Calvary Chapel Cumberland, I might be the pastor. I am the pastor. But I want you to know my whole family serves in this ministry in one form or another. My kids sit through two services on Sunday a lot because there's no one to take them home because Rebecca and I are here for both services. My sons serve in the sound area. They work, uh, Lucas, they're always working around the church. Whatever they need, whenever I need help, they're always there. Andrew is always working. Abigail will do whatever, helping children's ministry curriculum. Our whole family is serving the Lord together. What a blessing that is. It's not just one. It's not just me. It's not just my ministry. It's our family's ministry. We're called to the, as a family. This is where we're called. This is what we do. What a beautiful picture that is. He also tells them there, tells the church in Corinth, he said, submit to them. Submit to the family of Stephanus. It means listen to them because they're my fellow laborers. Don't just, don't, don't go, ah, they don't know what they're talking about. They're just from the KI. They, they don't know. They're just brand new. They don't know anything. He says, listen to them. Submit to them. They're my fellow workers. And look in verse 17. Paul says, in fact, I am glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. For what was lacking on your part, they supplied. For they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. Stephanus was the head of the house, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. They were likely Christian servants or Christian slaves in the household of Stephanus. They traveled with him. These are the three men who brought the letter from the church in Corinth to the Apostle Paul. They're waiting as the Apostle Paul will probably give him this letter, 1 Corinthians, to take back to the church in Corinth. He says, they're with me. But notice what he says about them. He says, they refreshed my spirit. Do you ever need your spirit refreshed? Yeah. The Apostle Paul needed his spirit refreshed. How did they refresh his spirit? It doesn't really tell us. But I believe... They shared what God was doing in their town, in their city, in their home, in their life. They shared how they were ministering. All of us love to be around people who refresh our spirit. We love to hear what God's doing. We love to hear the mighty and the miraculous works of God. Last May, I was at a pastor's conference, and a guy came up to me who I had never met, and he said to me, he said, introduced himself, and he said, I need you to tell me the ice cream story. I said, what are you talking about? I said, I like ice cream. And he goes, no, no, the ice cream story. And I said, I don't understand what you're talking about. He goes, last year the, a year, the previous year, I heard you talking to somebody else, and you were sharing how when you went out to start the church in Cumberland, that you started meeting in an ice cream store. There was a whole ice cream store. There was a whole story that went along with that. And I thought, wow. And then I realized he needs to be refreshed. He needs to hear the story of what God did in this ministry. And I said to him, why do you want to hear that story? He goes, because I'm about to go out and plant a church. He goes, I'm about to go plant a church, and I need to know how the Lord worked in your ministry. I said, well, he won't work in yours the same way. He goes, I know. He goes, but when you tell me what he's done and how he's worked in your ministry, I find it refreshing. 
I find it encouraging. I, find, I, I know that I can go out. It, I, I love hearing the works of the Lord, don't you? Don't we love hearing what the Lord does? Whether it be start a radio station or an addictions ministry, whatever it is that we do, isn't it amazing when you step back, you take your hands off of it, the Lord works, and you can go praise God. He did all the work. He did it all. Not us. The radio station isn't a result of me or Kevin or the other Kevin. It's the work of the Lord. He just used us. We didn't know anything about radio. And he gets all the glory when it happens that way. He's the one that gets all the glory. But just like there's some people who will refresh your spirit, aren't there others who will just suck the life out of you? Yeah. Doesn't mean we ignore them. There's still ministry to us. But sometimes we have to realize... I need to go get refreshed. Who do you go to for that? Find those people in your life. I have them in mind. I know right now, I could, and I won't tell you who they are, that's between me and them, and they probably know it. They may not even know it, but I know there's a few people in my phone that I can call when I need to be refreshed, and I'll hear, and I'll be refreshed by it, by the conversation, just by what they say, by the way they encourage, just by the way they talk. I just, I don't know why they just refresh me. They share what the Lord's doing in their life, what's going on in their ministry. Who do you call when you need to be refreshed? Maybe it's church. Maybe it's here. Come get refreshed. That's what we should be. Paul says, they refreshed my spirit. How cool would it be to be the one that refreshed the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul. The great Apostle Paul needed refreshing. Look at verse 19. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Aquila and Priscilla, they were a married couple. They had a church in their home. They're mentioned a number of times throughout Scripture. They're faithful servants of the Lord. House churches were common in that day. They could get about 20 to 30 people in a house, and that's about the size of the church. It would be a close-knit fellowship. We didn't actually see church buildings coming around until about the 3rd century. That's when churches began to build the buildings. So it was in the house. Look at verse 20. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The emphasis here is on holy, not just a kiss, a holy kiss. This is a cultural thing. Don't come up to me after church and try to kiss me. All right? I won't take kindly to it. No, I, I, don't, I wouldn't do anything bad. I just, I might step back. I had one person, one time in my life do this, and it was a friend of mine. Uh, his name was Steve. And Steve, uh, I, right after we came up here to Cumberland to start the church, I'd been away from Florida for a couple of years. And, and after we left, Steve found out that he had, uh, he had cancer. And he had a couple of years of really touch and go whether or not he was going to make it or not. And uh, actually, we expected him not to make it. And I, ran, I, I, I had lost touch with him. And I thought that he had passed away. And I ran into him at a pastor. This is before Facebook. And I ran into him at a pastor's conference. And all of a sudden, he comes running up to me. He gives me a great big hug and gives me a big fat kiss right on my cheek. Now, if you know me, I'm not into the whole huggy, huggy, kissy, kissy thing. And I said, Steve, what are you doing? And he said, well, the Bible says greet one another with a holy kiss. I said, yeah, but that doesn't mean me. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, Rob, he goes, if you've been through what I've been through the last two years, he goes, when you see a brother in Christ that you haven't seen for a long time and you don't know that you'll see them again, you give him a holy kiss. I said, well, you're the only one, buddy. Nobody else. It is. It's a cultural thing. It's still done. It's still practiced in some cultures. So it's, it's, that's what he's talking about there. In the middle, at this point in the letter, at this middle, towards the end of the chapter here, look at verse 21. The salutation with my own hand, Paul's. So Paul says, basically, he takes the pen away. It was common for a letter to be dictated back then. Paul grabs the pen out of the scribe's hand, and he starts writing, verse 21, the salutation with my own hand, Paul's. Now, why wouldn't Paul write his own letter? Well, it was pretty common to dictate back that day, but some people think that Paul had an eye problem that he couldn't see very well. At the end of the book of Galatians, he says, look at what large letters I write with my own hand. So it could be for whatever reason, but at this point, Paul grabs it, and then he, with this in his hand, look what he writes in verse 22. It says, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed, O Lord, come. The word for accursed, because well, that's what, if you're like me, you go, all right, well, what does accursed mean? 
Let's dig a little bit deeper. What does accursed mean? The word for accursed is anathema. Anathema was the third level of church discipline, if you will, among the ancient Jews. So the first level was a simple separation of a man from the synagogue for 30 days. So if you did something wrong, if you did not repent in those 30 days, you didn't make it right, you were under the second degree of discipline, giving you still an undefined time to repent, but warning you of the dire consequences to come. But then if you still did not repent and you made it to the third level, the anathema. You've made it to anathema. What does that mean? With that, when you reach that level, it was a place where all hope of reconciliation was lost. And repentance was cut off. The man could never be reconciled to the synagogue and was no longer even considered a Jew. Anathema. You'd failed to repent for whatever wrong you had done and now you were cut off forever. Paul. Aren't you being a little harsh? You you just said that anybody that does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Isn't that a little harsh, Paul? I don't think so. Let me put it to you in a different way. The Apostle Paul, with the pen in his hand, as he writes that one sentence, he's pleading with the Corinthians. He's saying this. Let me see if I can make it easier to understand. If you don't love the one who is altogether lovely, if you don't love the one who died for you, If you don't love the one who cares about you, if you don't love the one who gave everything that he might be with you both here and in eternity, if you don't love the one who is all-wise, all-knowing, yet all-loving and all-forgiven, then you're cursing yourself. You've chosen to reject the one that has done everything for you. So the one that does not love Jesus Christ is anathema. If you reject the one who has done everything for you, you're cutting yourself off from, from fellowship with the Lord and from fellowship with his people. Now, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you know there's a certain type of fellowship that happens with like-minded believers, isn't there? When you meet another Christian that's right where you are, you know it. You can immediately tell because you're like-minded. You're, you, there, there's this fellowship there. There's no, there's, you might just meet them for the first time and you can tell. They believe like I believe. And I'm not talking about doctrinal differences or little things. They're, they're serving the Lord like I'm, they are right there with me. We are, on, we are serving the Lord in different places, but we're, there's this fellowship that happens there. And Paul says, if you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ, you're cut off from that fellowship. In fact, you're cut off from all of eternity with him. But it's not because he hasn't made it possible. It's because you've chosen not to accept what he's done for you. You've chosen to stay in your sin, not ask for forgiveness of your sin. You've chosen to stay who you are and not allow him to change you. You've chosen to reject his word and choose, I'm going to plan my own path in life. He says, you're choosing anathema. You're choosing to be cut off. But the beautiful thing is that you can change that anytime you want. Anytime you want, you can say, you know what? I've lived my life. I've tried it. I realize he is God. He's the savior. He died for my sins. And the moment you believe that, you're no longer cut off anymore. You come into the fellowship. And you can spend the rest of your life serving him and growing in him. And oftentimes people have this misidea of being a Christian. It's no fun. There's there's nothing exciting. It's a boring lifestyle. I would encourage you to go talk to Brad Miller before you leave today. Ask him how boring it is when he gets on the boat and goes up the Amazon River and spends 40 hours for a 40-hour boat ride, gets in the Amazon jungle, and he lives with the Indians as he shares the gospel with them. Does that sound boring to you? Most of us won't go, go, go to drive into Baltimore without getting afraid of something. Go, go, ask, go find somebody who's serving the Lord and see how boring it is. It's not boring at all. It's amazing. You get to watch what he does through you just because, you're, because you say, here am I, send me. I'll be faithful, Lord, to these little things. And you start being faithful and he brings you into these bigger and bigger and bigger things. It's amazing. It's not boring at all. What's boring is going to happy hour. What's boring is putting drugs into my body and nothing, and nothing ever changes. It's just the same thing day after day until I get arrested or I, go to, or I, go, or I die, overdose. That's boring. But when you say, Lord, I want to serve you, and, he's, and, and then the best part is, he says, thank you. He says, I've got a perfect plan for you. And I'm going to take all those things that you enjoy, and I'm going to, I'm going to fit you right into that plan. All those things that you like that I created in your heart, I'm going, to, I'm going to let you serve me right there. I'm going to take you to the perfect place for you. I've got it all planned out for you in your life. And I'm not saying everybody's going to be a missionary, because some of us are going to serve the Lord right where we're at. Some of us are going to serve the Lord as husbands and wives, as teachers, as plumbers, as HVAC guys, whatever it is, we serve the Lord wherever he has us, but it'll be exactly where he wants you. And it will not be boring whatsoever. 
But notice this last little phrase. Oh, Lord, come. Oh, Lord, come. Paul says, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Oh, Lord, come. This is the Aramaic phrase from where we get the word Maranatha. You ever heard the word Maranatha? It's a Christian word, Maranatha. What does it mean? It means, Lord, come. We're waiting on you, Lord. Come, come, Lord. Paul was writing and waiting for the return of Christ. Oh, Lord, come. It became a common greeting among the Christians. Maranatha. Sign your letter. Maranatha. Oh, Lord, come quickly. I think we've lost that in churches today. I think we've, well, we've become a little complacent. We don't realize the Lord could really come back at any moment. We don't really, we, we've come into doctrinal arguments. Is it a pre-tribulation rapture? Is it a post-tribulation rapture? Is it a mid-tribulation rapture? Is it a two-thirds tribulation rapture? And then we've come to the conclusion, well, let's pray it's pre, but we'll prepare for post. That's where we settled at. I don't think that's right. As a matter of fact, because I have a week, because we're going to finish 1 Corinthians uh, this week, I'll be here next week, then I'll be in Israel the following week. Next week, we're going to take a look at the rapture of the church in the scriptures, and I'm going to show you scripturally why I believe the rapture of the church will happen before the tribulation period with the scriptures. So bring your Bibles and bring your fingers ready to turn pages quickly, because we're going to cover a lot of grounds. But he says, oh, Lord, come. For a believer, those are the sweetest words, because they know, and you know. Let me ask you this. If the Lord was to come back now, any moment, would he not be, would that not take care of any problem you have? I mean, think about that. Any problem you have in life, as you sit here right now, whatever it is, financial, health, marital, whatever it is, if the Lord comes back right now, would it take care of everything? If you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, it would. If you're not, you just open the doors to more problems. But shouldn't we be looking forward to that? Shouldn't we be expecting his return? Paul thought he was coming back. He wrote, oh Lord, come. The disciples thought he was coming back. He said, Rob, but that was 2,000 years ago and he hasn't come. Well, then we're closer today than they were then, just by simple math. But when we believe he's coming back, it changes the way that we live our life because all of a sudden we live each day differently. And we give our schedules over to him and we say, if the Lord permits. And we be, and as I always say, we'll be busy about his work while we're here, but we're looking up for his return. Let's pray. Oh, we got one more verse, sorry. Last verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul began with grace and peace, and he ends with grace and love. And how beautiful is that of all the correction in between. He starts with the grace and peace of the Lord, correction, and then he says the grace and the love of the Lord. So let's pray. Father, as we've studied these verses this morning in your word, perhaps we've been challenged to fight. Perhaps we've been challenged to watch out for the enemy. Perhaps we've been challenged to hold the line and see the world as a battleground instead of a playground. Lord, however you've spoke to us, would we heed your warnings? Lord, maybe we've been encouraged to know that you're coming back. And we'd be prepared and be ready for your return. Lord, we long to see you face to face. We look forward to that day where you will call us home. But while we're here, there's so much work to be done. And if we don't fight, Lord, if we just run from family to family, from church to church, from thing to thing, we'll never accomplish what you've called us to. Lord, would you help us to be faithful servants? And Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you this morning, would this morning, right now, be the time they give their life to you? May they believe with all their heart that you died on the cross for their sins. May they confess you May their life be forever changed as they begin a journey with you. Lord, thank you so much for your scriptures and your faithfulness to us. May we be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.